we're recording now. Um, if you could just say your full name and the first thing that comes to your mind about yourself. My full name means with with all my names. How, however, just... however you want to say it. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm uh, Aníbal Dominguez, and um, I'm a dancer and um, curious human. I'm Liz Sabachik, and this is Humans of Tango, where we explore what tango has to teach through the experiences of those who dance it. six year old and uh, I got a grandmother that used to listen the only tango radio that we have here which is a historical radio called Clarín. First touch with the music was to listen that radio from day to night every day for 10 years uh, as long as I didn't have the chance to have my own radio <laughs> I had to listen that and well then after all those years I, I moved from my house and suddenly I have some new friends who were involved into carnival here so this this friend that I have he was participating in a group for carnival and dancing and he offered me one day uh, you know if I ever wanted to dance something uh, what what it would be, and I say I say naturally tango. I I never really thought about it. It was just something that came from the inside, because if you ask me, I would also say that I didn't like the music. Hmm. I just like the idea of of getting together, you know, and and embrace. In the embrace. And a few months later. This guy, my friend, show up with uh, a teacher and say, well, you say you like tango? Well, I have teachers for you. So I went just because this guy recommend me. And these two teachers were, one is Eduardo. That's Eduardo Ferrer. And Claudia Pisani, which is a wonderful dancer that I got the luck to meet. She helped me a lot. And she also recommend me to take contemporary dancing classes to help the process because it, it was not easy for me to, to, to learn how to dance. My first year was really difficult. The first thing this teacher was focused with me, he was in trying to understand how to create a space without the intention of moving someone else, but by creating the space with my own body. It took me like two years to get into something with that because mm-hmm. it was a lot of learning. But after that, I got this impression that every class that I went, I got my own translation. I think of Aníbal Dominguez as my first tango maestro, though he never formally gave me a lesson. Aníbal had already been dancing for several years when we started dating while I was living in Montevideo, Uruguay in the mid-2000s. I was just starting to learn to follow in tango after years studying ballet, modern dance, and a little bit of jazz. My dance experience up to that point had all been based in choreography, and it took me a while to wrap my mind around the concept of improvisation. Aníbal used to say, Estás bailando sola, you're dancing alone. And he liked to switch things up when we practiced, 
to make sure I wasn't just memorizing sequences. Anuel always encouraged me to slow down and relax into the learning process. For years after we were no longer together, I continued to uncover little gems of insight that I hadn't been ready to understand when he first shared them. Even that early in his tango journey, Anuel was totally dedicated to tango and totally independent in that dedication. Actually, I got kind of not really uh, welcome in some tango classes because when I started in the first years, like in the fourth year, a uh, place we used to go together, I used to go there to the class. And when something was not working for me, I used to change something and, and make my own uh, choreography with what the teacher was proposing. And the teacher used to not like that <laughs> uh, because it was kind of... Uh, not respecting what the teacher was offering to you. And for me, it wasn't that. It was just not staying frustrated with things I cannot do and try to do something that comes out from myself. I think uh, I was very young. And it, even when in our countries, we're very used to embrace, to kiss everyone, you know, to be into this intimate moment for three minutes with someone, it was really uh, something that shocked me at the first time. And I can say that that was not part of my passion. Mm -hmm. um, then after uh, all these memories of all the time that I was listening, all the music, you know, they came all together and it kind of started to make sense to me. And I started to listen to the same music from a different perspective. And then the luck that I have, uh, that I have this teacher who helped me from the very beginning with the contemporary dancing and the ballet training. Uh, you know, I, I never became a fan of uh, contemporary dancing, but it changed my point of view and, and it created conditions to enjoy what I was doing. So I think it helped in a certain way to have a passion. Once I went into the tango, after two or three years, it became a, an obsession. But uh, then I understand that people who had different interests uh, will not do all that effort that I was doing at that time. Uh, because it's not that the tango is your entire life. You know, tango is just a part of your life that you enjoy very much. And you have other things that you will also like, a career, a job. Uh, hobby. Uh, I just had tango at that time. En un bondi color humo que al trocen se dirigía, presencié una fulería que resultó una función. Vi como un pobre chabón palpándose la sotana, le bateó un punga la cana y este verse acorralado buscaba desesperado aligerarse del paco, fruto digno del atraco que le fuera deschavado. You know, I, I certainly remember feeling the frustration that people had sometimes with the like little brother relationship with Buenos Aires and Montevideo. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what it's like being from Uruguay as a tango dancer. 
Well, uh, is uh, is is a kind of difficult relationship. Uh, the label Tango Argentino created uh, a big business for for a lot of people from a very long time ago, and we are included into that because we, as Uruguayan, we mix very easily as Argentinians everywhere in the world. So, uh, so it's not a a thing that you should complain about because you could be part of it. But at the same time, you're part of a different country. So once someone adds a label to the tango and say, this is Argentinian tango, it looks like you have to be Argentinian to dance that tango, you know. At the same time, the tango, is very known in the world because the Argentinians mostly spread it mm-hmm. around. So it's not about denying all that, all those facts, but is it was uncomfortable at the beginning to feel like, well, we are Uruguayan, and there are also big uh, uh, tango musicians and 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 people who were involved into the tango who are Uruguayan, and they mean totally ignore because yeah. they don't have the level of Argentinian, uh, like Canado. or people, as- or people assume they're Argentine. Yeah, you know, uh, Francisco Canaro is Uruguayan, for example. A big example of that. Canaro was a successful composer, violinist, and band leader during Tango's golden age. And fun fact: I got into his music while living in an apartment on the two-block street named after him in Montevideo. And in real terms. That doesn't mean anything because we're part of the same geographic place where uh, these cultural events were happening. I, I was kind of, uh, you know, my first uh, tango travels were uh, going some places where people say, oh, you do Argentinian tango and you speak as an Argentinian, mm-hmm. but you're from Uruguay, you know. <laughs> and it was kind of fun to explain that history and to explain that it's not only Argentina who owns the entire history of tango. They have the 95%, but maybe 5%, maybe less. Uh, it was also created in other place, which is very near from Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, no one cares. And it's okay. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter at all. So uh, I stopped doing that a long time ago. And I start enjoying the good things of being Argentinian, which is uh, <laughs> a lot of good things. I always try to explain that for me, tango is like football, you know, uh, like uh, who cares that uh, English invented football? Because finally, nowadays, when you have the World Cup, you, you know, you're not going to get uh, an advantage for being English. So... I was kind of against this this thing the Argentinians, maybe some of them tried to spread in the old times, which is that you will never be able to dance like us, you know, hmm. in a way that uh, we have something that you you wouldn't understand. You know, it created a lot of, a lot of issues with uh, self uh, autoesteem. Uh, in people, you know, because they really thought they couldn't do it. Nowadays, mm-hmm. you see someone dancing on a video. They have no idea if these people are from Russia or 
Argentina or anywhere in the world, because anywhere in the world, people can dance beautifully and make things awesome. And they kind of stepped out of this crazy idea of only Argentinians have the fifth element in, in the tango, which mm -hmm. Uruguayans never believed. <laughs> <laughs> I asked Aníbal how the tango scene in Montevideo has evolved since my years there. He noted that Montevideo's smaller size makes it more like tango communities in other parts of South America than Buenos Aires, which he described as a unique environment for tango that Uruguayan dancers are very thankful for. Aníbal did share one area where the Montevideo scene has shifted in an exciting direction over the last 10 years. And we also have uh, tango on the streets, on the squares, which is kind of new for us. And this is very good because people has this democratic access and we assure as community to give them a good quality milonga where you have four hours with one hour of class and three hours of milonga with the best teachers, the best DJ, doing everything for free. So everyone can experience what a milonga is, but outside. And we thought that would bring people into inside places, which haven't happened. But has, it, of, but has it grown the community? Like, would you say that there are new people who just, they only go to the outdoor milongas, but they are getting into tango? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's been very productive for tango to be on the streets because otherwise a lot of people uh, will never, uh, don't even have a clue that something like that is going on on the city. So it was really helpful in that sense. But on the other hand, it, it hasn't created, as we some of us thought, a mass movement and a cultural uh, revolution on tango. Uh, it just created another category of people who prefers to go dance on the streets. Uh, you know, maybe some people go there because they don't have a choice to pay to get in somewhere, or they just don't want to get closer to an inside place, Milonga. And inside Milonga, you might get to need uh, shoes, proper clothes, some training, you know, on the streets. You don't need all that. You can uh, let that go. So I think that, that helps a lot. A pesar que el gratarola le dio a la declamación, no lo convenció el botón que se mostró intransigente en medio de tanta gente. Y ya frente a un oficial, teniendo corrido el dial, se le acabó el reportaje. Y al revisarlo de un traje, en una forma fulera, lo portaron en galera. Y el bondi siguió su viaje. a lot about letting go of control in order to dance more honestly and accurately in the following role. When we reconnected for this episode, I learned that he's been on his own journey to let go of control in the leading role. For Aniwal, immersing himself in a completely different dance form was the key to take his tango to the next level. When we spoke before, you talked about like a, a binary between the structure of tango and the structurelessness of contact, aka contact improv. Mm -hmm. So I'd be interested in revisiting that 
um, and hearing about how you got into contact and how that fits with Tango. I think I started uh, with the contact eight years ago because I was involved into Periferico. Periferico used to be a tango company that used contemporary dancing and tango to create a show. I don't know if show is the right word, una obra. And uh, it was very interesting for everyone to achieve that mix where you really get contemporary dancing and tango in the same body. Uh, contemporary dancing started in the United States in the 80s. And it was started by contemporary dancers, ballet dancers, who were trying to achieve a technique where they involve everything on stage instead of saying, I'm dancing this and then that in Periferico for creating our plays. We use uh, the contact improv technique of saying, well, we have this ability to create and, and there is no rules. And here in Uruguay, let's just say for people in tango, the milonga version, they have a version of contact improv, which is encounters where everyone can show up with no experience even, and you can just mix with the people dancing there. Everyone is silent. Uh, you can dance on your own. You can sit down. You can dance with 20 people at the same time all together. So I heard there was these encounters and I went there and all the years of learning techniques, which wasn't really what I was enjoying. For example, contemporary dance has floor technique and you have, of course, uh, the rest <laughs> on your legs. But on the floor, it was a mess, you know, just to go on the floor and do things. For me, it was a kind of waste of time. And once I went into these encounters and I was not pushed to think on doing this choreography, which I hated, I hated the, the floor choreographies on contemporaries, but then I realized how good it was to do all these choreographies because now I knew how to move myself in the floor. <laughs> you know? And that was, that was the contact info for me. Uh, that was the freedom of using whatever technique that I learned with my body in any way that I like with no problems because no one is there to say what is wrong. Uh, you just have to take care of yourself, take care of the others, but uh, it's an open place. So with the time, I started to enjoy a lot more than contact encounters than the milongas, you know, because on the milongas, I started to feel like in a dictatorship of movement where mm -hmm. every movement is designed and this is how it should be. Mm -hmm. And till that moment, I was about to leave tango because mm -hmm. my body was hurting a lot. I have pains created by these strict movements that you repeat very much. And it was kind of exhausted. It was kind of I enjoy dancing, but after dancing, I started to have pain on my back, pain on my knees. And once I started with the contact improv, I realized how, how anxious, uh, anxious, ansiedad. How much was, anxiety? Anxiety was on, on my movement while I was dancing. Or tension. You had tension in your body when you were dancing? Yeah. 
mm -hmm. unnecessary tension all the time. And when I was dancing contact in front, I was able to do whenever I want any movement. And I started to recognize movements that I was doing in the wrong way. And I, I learned how to let go uh, this anxiety. I, I realized that once we touch, there is a conscience of touch that is not going to the brain. It's like the bodies itself, they, they talk to each other in a way where once you activate someone and start dancing, you can follow that body and you don't need to lead in a sense, you don't need to tell that body what to do, but you're leading at the same time because you're the one in the position of leading. So is there no real difference between the roles then for you? I mean, and you dance as a follower as well, right? So is it all the same in the end? Yeah, there is a way that you can realize how when you get into the bottom of our, of our connection, uh, the leading and the follower are very related. Actually, in my opinion, the most beautiful dancers are the ones where if you really look close on what they're doing, there's no need to know who's leading because it's impossible to know. To really know where that movement is coming from, it's, it's impossible. So at the beginning, it's very good to know, okay, I'm leading, I'm taking care of the space. But then at some point, you can realize yourself that even when you're in the role of leading, you don't need to lead. And you don't need to tell the other that you're not leading. And then you can achieve how to get into instinct movements through that. Because the other person is totally focused, thinking that he's been leaded and you're not leading. So you have time to focus on other core of the dancing. And it's not about what you've been told to do. It's not uh, to give directions. It's just to see where is possibilities. So you dance, letting the music to make you dance. And you're not worrying all the time what to do next. Yeah. And yeah, that's very interesting. Have you explored that with other dual role dancers though? Like being in a more fluid conversation between leading and following? Is that something that you do on any regular basis or that you've, because the yeah, scenarios yeah, yeah. you're talking about sound like they're more like, you know, with someone less experienced, for example, in the, from the leading role. Yeah. Uh... I've done everything. I mean, I, I experienced it with uh, people who are experienced dancers. And then you get a point where it starts to be very interesting to do it with beginners. <laughs> because you, you, you start realizing at a certain point that we are so sensitive to this structural uh, teaching that even when we think we're not good enough, we really learn very fast uh, mm. how to move ourselves based on rules. And instead of uh, uh, being stressed on, on do everything, you realize this is going to happen anyway. The, the mm. dancing, the tango dancing is going to happen and you don't need to push that hard. And for me, that was a big uh, discover. I, 
it saved me after 20 years fighting all the time to make people dance, to make people do the craziest things, the most complicated movements, sometimes making damage into my own body. And once I, I, I got this knowledge from Contact Improv, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to fight anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, fight so, is over. Sounds like a big, big step. Aníbal still loves to share what he's learned about tango. These days, he does so in workshops inspired by his experience with contact improv. I call it tango from the ordinary movements. In <laughs> mm-hmm. español? Uh, tango desde el movimiento cotidiano. Mm-hmm. Which means that, uh, you know, like when you let uh, the lady to pass and you don't pass, and she understands when you are stopping that has to go first. It doesn't matter if it's a lady or, or anyone. Right. Uh, from these instinctive things, that we, you, we have it everywhere. If you look for it, it's everywhere. <laughs> and, and you realize this intelligence can be used. In contact, you learned that you don't need to learn. <laughs> it's kind of weird because on one side, it's very good to learn all the techniques. But then when you're in contact with people who are never uh, be teaching these techniques and they get really fancy, crazy movements, you realize that uh, you, you have an inner knowledge of how to move. For me, there is a main uh, root that we have is a human for uh, movement. And this root is before our rational brain try to lead our movement. So to connect to that, you can now go through teaching by itself, like saying, you know, move your arm. Because it is not even the same muscles involved when you're moving from the instinct than if you're moving from a rational way. And when you're moving from the rational brain, you're probably going to use outside muscles. So you're going to see how the muscles on the skin are activating and mainly when you're moving from your instinct the basic movement comes from skeletal Skeletal muscles muscles inside your body this is not a rule but it's something i have observed in many cases so for me this original route can theoretically lead to same results in an instant way, but you got to know how to achieve that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's when the art comes. For me, it was a misunderstood with the contemporary and contact improv techniques mixed into the tango because it's not to justify that you cannot achieve certain uh, techniques when you justify it uh, in a way that, uh, you know, I don't do that because uh, I dance free and I do contact improv. I'm not agree with that. So maybe from a perspective of a contact improv, you can achieve that difficult technique, but just in a different way. Doesn't mean that you have to go into milonga and not respect the rules. For me, it's very important to feel that people want to receive 
and not not trying to convince anyone. So I give very few lessons each, each year from some friends who asked me to come. And I'm very happy with that. And, and I got a lot because all that time with my crazy head, I'm, I'm elaborating. And, and then to see when these exercises, these things that I've been uh, setting on my mind are uh, on the class and it works. I feel very grateful because for me, the big uh, goal is whatever I have learned or I have experienced in 20 years that I've been dancing, uh, if I can translate that to someone in a minute, that will be wonderful. Here's to following our instincts and carving our own unique path to let the dance happen. Mil gracias, Aniol, and thanks to Daniel Melingo, whose music I fell in love with, thanks to Aniol, and whose song En un bondi color humo, based on a poem by Luis Alposta, is featured in this episode. Check out the show notes for more about Melingo and Alposta. Bondi, 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 Bondi,